The following sermon is by Stephen Tillis, pastor of Emanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Please visit us at 2100 Noble Road in Raleigh or on the web at ebcraleigh.com. And now, here's Pastor Steve. Amen, church. It's good to be with you again this Sunday. Uh, please take your Bible and turn to the New Testament book of 1 Thessalonians chapter number 1. And uh, say thank you to Mark last Sunday for uh, giving an overview and then speaking about 1 Thessalonians 1, verse number 2 and 3. I want to talk uh, for the next several weeks about the church and the in-between. Of course, when we talk about that, we're talking about church between the first coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think that is appropriate for uh, this time. You'll find that uh, the last verse of each uh, chapter in 1 Thessalonians speaks about the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we want to talk a little bit about what church looks like before the Lord comes again. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 1, when you found your place would you stand for the reading of the Word of God? I know you already got comfortable, but let's stand one more time. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 1, verse 1 through 10. Paul and Silvanus and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of our God and Father. Knowing, brethren, beloved by God, His choice of you, for our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, just as you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. You also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith toward God has gone forth, so that we have no need to say anything, for they themselves report about us what kind of reception we had with you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He has raised from the dead, that is Jesus Christ, who rescues us from the wrath to come. Let's pray together. Our Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus and with the help of the Spirit of God, and we pray that you would add your blessing to the reading and the proclamation of the Word of God. We thank you for this time together to sing and to pray, to fellowship, and then to gather around your Word to be transformed into the image of your Son, and we pray that you would do that in the life of this church uh, in this time together. And we will love you and thank you, for it is in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Church, I think what I'm going to do today is just teach down through these 10 verses or as much as possible. So I'm not exactly sure, especially with the Lord's Supper, that I'll be able to get through all 10 verses. So let me just on the front end give you three words to break the text apart for us today. And if I don't get it, you can read through it and then next week we'll come back. So simply, I think verse number one, we would simply put the word introduction. Introduction, And we'll talk about that in a minute. And then verse 2 through verse number 5, maybe you might want to jot down the word recognition. 
recognition. Verse 2 through 5, we'll break that into recognition. And then verse number 6 through verse number 10 would be the word implementation. Implementation. Tried to, tried to alliterate that just to make them clear for you and stick out in your mind. An introduction, recognition, and implementation. And so you follow along in your scripture, your copy of the Word of God. Verse number one, let's, uh, let's just kind of look at what it's, how it begins. He says here, Paul and Silvanus and Timothy. Notice here that this is one of the few letters in the New Testament that is actually authored by three men here. And uh, so Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, this kind of working together, this group of men that were serving the Lord Jesus Christ, and yet you'll find that in this book and in its, uh, uh, its sequel, 2 Thessalonians, the power and the authority that lies behind these two books are ultimately in the Apostle Paul. It is really his word that carries the day. He is the apostle. He is the one that, was, uh, that had the vision of Christ. He is the 12th apostle. And so Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, that, that, they are the authors of this uh, New Testament book. And then also you can see the recipient. He says here, to the church of the Thessalonians there. And so the word church is uh, ecclesia or called out assembly. It is a local body of believers. Now, in, uh, in the day in which this book was written, there were a whole bunch of what they would call ecclesias or assemblies or groups of people. And not all of those were churches. They may be similar to uh, Kiwanis Club or, um, uh, you know, the Moose Hall or whatever it might be, you know, any gathering of folks together. But in the New Testament, this designation here is most often used for the local body of believers. And so Paul and, uh, and Silvanus and Timothy, they are writing to the local church in Thessalonica. Now, this is a harbor city, and this is a well-to-do city, uh, lots of money and, and lots of exports running through this place. And so there are many there that, and a larger city, many there that are making their way good in life, and yet it comes to the church in this place, and if you believed in Jesus and you rejected other gods, you become marginalized, and you might even lose your work, and you might lose your status, you possibly could lose your home and your well-being. And so the church here in Thessalonica is under going under much persecution and problems and strife and suffering. And so the Apostle Paul writes to the believers, the local church in Thessalonica, and notice what he says to the recipients. He basically says three things to them in the introduction. First of all, he says, I want, I'm writing to the church in the, of the Thessalonians, first of all, that you are in God the Father. Amen? He's writing to this church and he's saying, listen, I know you're being marginalized and hurt and persecuted, but I want you to understand that no matter your size and no matter your strife and no matter what's going on, first and foremost, you are a church that is in God the Father. And that is an unusual designation for Paul's writings in the New Testament. Most of the time he just says, you're in Christ Jesus our Lord. But it appears here that because this church is suffering and hurting and persecuted and they're wondering what happened to all our brothers and sisters that have died in Christ, has Jesus already come back and left us? And maybe you were thinking that today when you woke up with the time change, you know, did everything get left behind? And so the issue here is, he says, I want you to understand this church is in God the Father. I think the Lord would say the same thing to our church here today at Emmanuel. That we are a church that is in God 
the Father. Now, the preposition here, in, uh, doesn't just simply mean that we're a part of or that it's some sort of designation, but it happens to mean that the very life of our church, the, the, the driving force and energy and power behind our church is drawn from the source that we are in God the Father. And this is much the same way in John 15 and the vine and the branches where Jesus said, if you're a branch and you are in me and the vine, that is how you draw your source of energy in so much that the fruit and the branch draws its energy and power and glory from being in the vine, the Lord Jesus Christ. So God's church draws energy and power and capability and ministry from being in God. He is the source and the power of our our church. Amen. But not only that, notice the second distinction. He says to the church of the Thessalonians, you are in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll notice that uh, in uh, verse number three, at the end of verse number three, this same uh, distinction is made again, where he says, in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the presence of our God and Father. And so when the Apostle Paul is writing this, he is making a repetition here because he wants you and he wants me to know that when he's writing to this church at Thessalonica, he is saying, you can rest assured that you are a church that is in God and in Christ Jesus. And he says, the same thing to our church here today. No matter how low you may be or what's going on in our life, corporately as the body of Christ, we can stand tall and face whatever comes our way because we are a church that is in God the Father and in Christ Jesus our Lord. But notice what he says here. Grace to you and peace. Grace to you and peace. The Apostle Paul speaks to the church there in Thessalonica and he gives both a Hebrew and a Greek greeting. Uh, the word here for peace is where we would get our Old Testament word for shalom. And it doesn't just mean the absence of strife or the absence of fighting. It means a fully flourishing life. The Apostle Paul says, I want there to be peace among you, and I bring the peace of Christ with you. And that means that whatever we are facing in our life, that the Lord brings our church peace and grace. This is the New Testament word here for grace, meaning the power and the grace and the action of the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives. And so he says to the church, grace and peace be with you. And church, I, I would say to us today, that the grace and the peace of the Lord is with our congregation today. And our congregation is made up of individuals. And the Lord speaks to your life today as a believer and says, in so much that you are a part of a local, vital body of believers that is in God and in Christ, I give you my grace and my peace. I'm not sure what your week looked like, I'm not sure what you're facing and what the hardships and the problems that, that are in front of you in the next week to come. But what I can say is this group of people right here, as God's body of believers, we are in God the Father. We are in Christ Jesus our Lord. And He gives us grace and peace as a church. As I watch the news and I think about everything that's going on around us 
Sometimes we can be unsettled. We can feel chaotic. We can be uh, rest. Maybe maybe think, man, is is the Lord really in control? Is the world going to hell in a handbasket, so to speak? Is the Lord? Are we on the winning side? But I would say to you today that you can have a peace and a grace in your heart that we are on the winning side. That we are locked away inside of God and in Christ Jesus, and there is grace and peace for every believer in every circumstance of life. God wants you to know that He is on the side of His people. Amen? We belong to Jesus. And He's for us and with us and will provide everything that we need as a church. Look with me, if you would, at verse number 2 through verse number 5. So that's a great way to introduce His letter. And then maybe some recognition here or a Thanksgiving passage. Notice with me uh, maybe three major thoughts that come out of uh, verse 2 through verse 5. I'll give you those in advance as well too, just uh, in case I don't make it all the way through. So first of all, in verse 2 through 5, when we think of recognition, we need to think that we should be thankful people. We should be thankful people. We should also be people of prayer, and we should be people of confidence in the gospel. Say those again. We should be thankful people, We should be prayerful people, and we should be people who are confident in the power of the gospel. Really, this is a a model for the church to follow in this Thanksgiving passage. Notice with me in verse number two, he begins by saying, we give thanks to God always for all of you. Brothers and sisters, notice here that the Apostle Paul in almost every one of his letters begins his letters, other than the book of Galatians, I believe, he begins his letters with a thanksgiving passage. He doesn't run past them to tell them everything to do, although he gets to that. He doesn't run past them and tell them all of the doctrine that they should believe, although he gets to that. He doesn't run past that in order to tell them how to implement that into their life, although he gets to the application passages. But the Apostle Paul almost always, when writing to the church, begins with a thanksgiving passage, and he says, I want to be thankful for you. And I would say to all of us here today, isn't it good for us in our lives to hold on and put the brakes on for a moment and say, thank you, Lord Jesus, for all that you've done in my life and in the life of our church. Amen. God has done wonderful and beautiful and glorious things for us. God has sent his son into the world to become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He has given us his salvation, his grace, his mercy, his life along the way. God has provided for his people and woe to the body of believers that doesn't pause for a moment in our life and say, thank you for what you have given us. I find that thankfulness puts a curve on uh, ungodly ambitions in our lives. If we're not careful, we'll be the kind of people that are always looking to the next thing, always wanting more and bigger and better and this and that, and we look past what God has already done for us. Now, I would say to our families, I say to every member of this church, why don't you pause this week and, and thank God for what He has done. And allow the Lord to encourage your heart to be thankful. But notice that the thankfulness to God is not so much for uh, things that He has provided as it is for people that He has provided. Look what it says. And he says, we give thanks to God always 
for all of you. Can I just maybe teach our church for a minute? There's, there's two thoughts in that that you need to get. First of all, he says, I give thanks always. So what is the, what is the length or what, when should we pray? Or how should we pray? There ought always to be thankfulness. Now, thankfulness just isn't something that you come to once in a while, but that we ought to be thankful as an ongoing part of our heart and life. The very, the very tenor of our soul, the way that we operate and day-to-day life should be one of thankfulness for the people that God has provided for us. Your attitude ought to be an attitude of thankfulness. And then look what it says there. Not only says, I give thanks always. And then he adds this, and I wish I could cut it out of my copy of the scriptures. But he says, I give thanks always for how many people in the church? For the ones that you like. Now, if you're not careful, that's the kind of version that you would have. And I would have. The Apostle Paul says, I want you always to be thankful for all the people. Man, that's really hard, isn't it? Because there are people in our lives, in our, in our families, in our work, and especially sometimes, I hate to say it, but sometimes even in church, where we don't want to be thankful for them. There might be people in this room who have hurt you, or done you wrong, or said something that, that broke your heart. And the Apostle Paul is saying to you, you should be thankful all the time for all of the people. And I have a feeling that we would experience some revival in this church. And every church, for that matter, would experience the revival and the power of the living God. If we got on our knees and confessed our sins and confessed our, uh, our, our, the things we harbor against each other in our hearts, and the resentments and the bitterness. And we said, you know what? I want to be thankful for all of the people that make up Emmanuel Baptist Church individually. Doesn't mean I got to be their best friend. Doesn't mean that we have all of the same likes and dislikes. Doesn't mean that we're we're just buddy-buddy all the time. But it does mean that the Apostle Paul says, I always give thanks for all of you. Let me ask you this in the last seven days. In your heart, did you give thanks for all of the people in this room today and those that can't be with us? Man, you stopped preaching and started meddling, right? Remember, I told you a few weeks ago that if when you turn to the book of 1 Thessalonians, the only thing that you can think of is us being raptured out of this world to be with Jesus forever, you might have missed a couple of things in the book. We're going to look at some of those. Because before Jesus comes back to take us, we have to be the church in the in-between. We have to be the kind of people who learn to forgive and to love and to be gracious, and to be thankful for people. That's what the Apostle Paul said. And there are some folks that have done you wrong, but they're believers. And guess what? Your feet are made of clay just like their feet are made of clay. You've messed up just like they've messed up. You've said things, and just about the time they got two centimeters out of your face, you wish you could fish them back with a treble hook. 
We do things and say things and we are ways and we do things and we rub people the wrong way. And yet through all of that, the Apostle Paul says, hey, you ought to always be thankful for all of them. Now that's going to take some time and some effort and some work on our behalf. But I want to tell you something, that the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ will lead us along the way and help us to be thankful people so I want to encourage you today. I want you to think this week, think in your mind about the brothers and sisters that comprise the church here. And I want you to think about the ones that you sit with on Wednesday night. And I want, to think, I want you to think about the ones that you try to avoid with all of your heart on Sunday morning. And I want you to whisper a prayer to the Lord and say, Father, thank you for them. Lord Jesus, thank you for the ones that minister to me and uplift me and encourage me. And thank you for the ones who are constantly trying to tear me down. I don't know what's going on in their life, but I know that you died for them and you love them. And thank you for the opportunity to be sanctified through my relationships. Thank you, Lord, for them and their families. Do good for them. Bless them. Cause your face to shine on them, Lord. Now, I know that's tough, but that's Bible. And if our church wants to be the church that God has called us to be, then we need to be the kind of people who are expressing gratitude and thankfulness for all of the other brothers and sisters in our congregation. All right? He says thankfulness. And then notice here that he turns his attention to prayerfulness. Look what he says here. At the end of verse number 2, he says, Making mention of you in our prayers, constantly bearing in mind. And then I'll get to that in a minute. But notice here he says, Making mention of you in our prayers. And that is that when the Apostle Paul began to pray, he began to make mention. He's calling these people by name. He's thinking of the believers in Thessalonica that make up this church, and he's calling them by name. He's thinking upon them. And then look what he says, constantly bearing in mind. And so the, the emphasis on his prayer, look, he says, I ought always to be thankful for all people. So his thankfulness is something that spans the whole spectrum. It is always to be this kind of way. And then our prayer life should be one that is constantly in prayer for our brothers and sisters in this church. Constantly bearing in mind. The word bearing here is that he's bringing an imagery before his mind. He is thinking about these people. He is holding them before their mind. He's seeing them at their work. He's seeing them with their family. He's seeing what they look like. And he's bearing them before their mind. And he's thinking about these things. Look what it says. Your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of our God and Father. Now, now just back up for a moment and think about that. What is he saying here? He's saying if Emmanuel Baptist Church wants to be the church in between the comings of Christ that God has called us to be, then we must be the kind of church that forgives and is thankful for each other and who constantly bears in our mind prayers for each other. 
If we were an honest congregation, I would say this to you right now. In the last seven days, have you prayed more than 10 minutes for the people in this church? And all of us would come to the altar in repentance and faith. We cannot be the church that God wants us to be if we're not constantly bearing each other before the Lord. Everybody that's sitting around you is facing the powers of darkness in their life and in their family and in their work. We have people in this church that are suffering with illnesses and heartaches and loss of loved ones and, 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 and depression and all kinds of things that are facing us. And God has called us through the Apostle Paul to be the kind of church that is thankful for people even when it hurts and who are constantly bearing in mind and praying for each other. If we come in here on a Sunday and we have spent the last six or seven days praying constantly for each other and loving in our minds and praying and bringing people before the very throne room of God, we would sing and find God's glory and presence and power and wisdom for life in this place. But when all we do is show up because we're supposed to, there's a disconnect. God has called us to pray for each other. Now look at the text, and let me, let me work here for a minute. He says, making mention of you in my prayers, constantly bearing in mind, these are the things that the Apostle Paul holds in his mind when he prays for the church of the Thessalonians. Three things, your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope. And notice, notice he didn't pray for their size. Notice he didn't pray for their influence. He's praying and holding before his mind their work of faith. Notice how these three institutions here are those that go out and go up and go into the hearts of other people. Notice what he says here, first of all, faith, hope, and love. But he says, your work of faith, it is the kind of faith, it is the kind of belief that actually works for the Lord. John Wesley put it this way, if faith works. And so when the Apostle Paul is praying for the church, he's saying, Lord, I'm holding behind in my mind, I'm bearing constantly in my mind this church in Thessalonica and these individuals who have believed on you to the point that they are ready to serve you, come what may. That they have the kind of faith in God that produces a life of service and work for you. These are the kind of people, I was telling somebody this morning, you know, we, we have a tendency sometimes, let me see where I am, we have a tendency sometimes to say, uh, you know, the people that need grace, uh, you know, from the uttermost to the guttermost, the people that need grace are the worst drunks in the town. I want you to understand something, everybody needs grace, but I'm going to tell you who needs the greatest grace in the world. The people that burn grace like jet fuel engines are nursery workers. You know Why? Because somewhere along the line, they have believed God so greatly in their soul that it has produced something inside of them that says, I will wipe the snotty noses of children and sing Jesus to them and risk the flu because I believe in Christ. The people that need God's grace are the people in this room 
who believe God to the point that you're ready to work for him. So let me help you. If there's never anything in your soul that says, I want to jump into what that church is doing. I want to pull in the same direction. I want to, I want to do what they're doing. I can't do everything, but I want to do what that church is doing because they're loving Jesus. If that's not inside of you, you don't have faith, saving faith. Saving faith works. J James, said, James said that if you don't have works, you don't have faith. Faith without works is dead. Not only does Paul hold that before their mind, but he says, and labor of love. It is a love that produces the word labor here. Is, uh, it means toil or just the hardest kind of work that you can imagine. I don't know if anybody in here has ever dug footers for a building. I'm telling you, that's some backbreaking work. That's the kind of, that's the kind of word that's going on here. He's saying, listen, labor of love. It's the kind of love that produces a labor for people that loves them and goes after it with all of your heart. And then look what he says. Yeah, this, um, this steadfastness of hope or the kind of hope that produces an endurance. I said to you before, you'll look at verse number 10 if you want. And the last verse of all, uh, all five of these chapters in 1 Thessalonians, every one of them end with the coming of Jesus. And so whether you see that as the coming of Jesus down here to set everything right, or whether you see that as the coming of Jesus to take us away from here, uh, the, the point is this, Jesus is coming soon. I think we recently in, in weeks past have sung a song like that, or was that today? It was today. Yeah, right? Jesus is coming soon. And our hope in the coming of Christ should produce an endurance and a steadfastness toward him, a diligence in the Christian life. And here's what the Apostle Paul says, when I pray for my brothers and sisters in Thessalonica, I hold in my mind, I constantly bear in my mind these things, their faith that produces works, their love that puts labor, and their hope that causes them to endure to the very end. This week I was convicted, I was on the other side of the world uh, teaching and also trying to get ready for Sunday. And man, the Holy Spirit just, just kind of stuck a dagger in my heart and said, Steve, when you pray for your congregation, do I hold in my mind each of you praying for you to have this kind of faith and this kind of love and this kind of hope? Do you pray for each other in this room that those things would be brought about in our lives. Well, notice what he says back down in the text. Let me, give you the, let me give you the third thing. So we need to be thankful people, prayerful people, and then we need to be people that are confident in the power of the gospel. Look what he says here. Knowing, brethren, beloved by God, His election or choice of you. Now, don't freak out over that, all right? Usually, whenever you see election, predestination, uh, choice in Scripture, you're going to find that concept with the concept of believing faith not far from it, all right? So hold both of those in tension. If you don't believe me, just look at verse number 6. They received the Word, and that is the Word of salvation, right? So, of course, they are chosen by God. And how do we understand that they are chosen by God? Because they received the Gospel. Look at what it says here. His choice of you for our gospel did not come to you in word only. Pause for a minute before you move back past that. It did come in word, just not word only. 
Uh, don't ever say to people, uh, you know, preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. That, that, that's attributed to Francis of Assisi. And let me tell you something. He spent his entire life proclaiming with his mouth the gospel. And all he was trying to say is you have to live the gospel and speak the gospel. Right? So the gospel came uh, not in word only, but it came in word. And the gospel must be proclaimed. It must come in word too. You cannot just live the gospel before people and expect that to be enough. You have to share with them Jesus. Not in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You see what happened is, they said, look, how do we know that you're the chosen of God? Because of how the gospel came to you. It came in word, but it came in power and the Spirit and in full conviction, meaning that they embraced it and lived it out. Just as you know, see the comparison with the end there, with the beginning of verse number four. They know this choice of them, just as you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. Here's the thing, brothers and sisters. When we leave here today as a congregation, we need to be thankful people, prayerful people, and we need to be the kind of people that have confidence in the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It comes to unbelievers and it saves them by His power. Amen? Don't be fearful. Don't draw back. Share the good news of Jesus with unbelievers everywhere, every chance you get, and trust that the power of the gospel will save unbelievers and restore the lives of those who believe in Him. The power is not in you. The power is in the message of the cross. Amen? Let's try that again. The power is not in you. The power is in the message of the cross. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, would you bow your head and close your eyes for a moment? Next week I'll talk to you from 6 to the end. The power of the gospel is that it turns us into those who imitate Jesus Christ and make disciples. And I, I just think maybe, maybe before we take the Lord's Supper, maybe there's some of our believers here today who need to privately confess your sin. Hey, I've not, Lord, I've not been thankful for everybody in this room. And I've not been expressing that through a life praying for them constantly, for them to have faith and hope and love and to be filled with the Spirit of God. And Lord, I've not been as faithful to share the truth of Jesus because I've been fearful and I've not been trusting. I've not had confidence in the power of what Jesus can do. Maybe you just need to talk to the Lord right where you are, right there. Why don't you let go of bitterness and strife and Anger and worry. Forgive somebody right now and be thankful for them. Leave here today. Make a commitment to pray for your brothers and sisters. Lord knows we need it. And go out and find every lost person that you can. And share Jesus with them or invite them to church and believe that God is able to change their lives. Not just the ones that you think He can change, all of them, even the ones you don't think He can change. Let me pray for us. Our Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters here today. And uh, man... <laughs> Maybe some of them came thinking we would just have a glory fest about when you come and we get to get out of here. But 
maybe the truth of it is we need to be more thankful and we need to pray and we need to share the gospel. And my toes are all stepped on. It's been happening all week. I'm, I think I even need some band-aids down there. And so maybe my brothers and sisters in this room, would you help them as well to help us to be thankful, help us to pray, and help us to share the gospel believing that you're able to save people. Lord, as we enter into this time on the Lord's Supper, I pray that it be a blessing for us as we come as broken sinners who Jesus has died for and saved. Help us to take the body and the blood of Christ until You come again. And we'll love You forward in Christ's name. Amen. You've been listening to Stephen Tillis, pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh. For more information and free access to other messages, please visit us at ebcraleigh.com.